0: So those of you who follow uh, me on Facebook know that the text that we're dealing with today uh, is um, 1 Samuel 28, which is a uh, weird, let's just be straight up here, it's a weird passage. In fact, if I didn't have it right here in front of me in the Bible and somebody said, hey, you know that story where a witch calls up Samuel's ghost and it talks to Saul I would say, now that's, that's not in the Bible, I'm sorry, you, you, you've gotten the, the wrong... It's, it's, I would say in most seminary Old Testament surveys, they spend more time on this text than any other single text in the Old Testament, because it's so hard to understand. Which means that for the last month or so, I've been scared to death of it. Uh, I've talked with my family about it, and my mom even said, skip it. Um, I, there's just nothing you can do with that. Uh, I, I thought that it would be helpful if I went back to my papers that I wrote when I was in seminary and pulled that out because I would have had all that research fresh in my mind. And I pulled the paper out and found that I got a C- on the paper. So that's not going to help me any. Um, so we're going to dig into this text, which is a very strange text. And we're going to kind of walk through it. And I'm going to pause periodically to comment on some stuff. Uh, The first thing I want us to know is where it fits in context. We've just had multiple stories where David was put in a situation like he was when Saul is asleep at his feet and he's holding Saul's spear. Where he could do what it took to get him out of a bad situation. And he decided... Instead of doing what clearly appears to be the easy way out, I'm going to do what God's Word says. So in the context of that, for the last few chapters, we've been following David exclusively. Now we come to Saul. And we're going to see that Saul does just the opposite. So, here we have the situation It starts out and lets us know that uh, Samuel had died in 28.3. Now Samuel had died. So we know that this story, in a flashback, it isn't, you know, so he's dead. So the, they tell us that they had a funeral. Everybody mourned him. It's almost like the narrator here wants to make sure we understand that what we're about to see here is really a ghost. So w- we see that, that uh, Samuel was d- dead And everybody had mourned for him. Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. So what that means is that Saul had, and we will deal with this again, but the Bible makes it really clear. uh, The the law is laid down that Saul was, uh, that, that they were to remove, to kill anybody that was a witch amongst them, to remove those people from the land. Saul had done that to a degree. And then the text tells us that there was a large encampment of Philistines that had assembled and come against the Israelites at Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel, and they camped at Gilboa. Now why these two geographical pieces of information are important is they're only about five miles apart from each other. So Saul could go see the armies of the Philistines. Philistines could send people to come look at Saul, and Saul could look and see that my army's this big and their army's this big. And this is going to be a problem. And Saul is afraid. I would say if I was going to subtitle this sermon, I would say it's about all about fear. Saul is afraid. In fact, if you kind of trace Saul through his life, fear is what motivates him throughout his life. Even when he was chosen to be king... And 1 Samuel 10, it says, Saul went and hid himself among the luggage. He was afraid of the people. When Goliath came against the Israelites in 17, 11, and 24, the text says that Saul was afraid. He was dismayed. When he saw Goliath, this big, hulking man, Saul's response was fear. David's response was, who is this man to stand against the armies of the Lord? Saul was motivated there by fear. The Bible tells us that Saul was afraid of David. The reason why Saul continually tried to have David killed was because of fear. Fear was the primary motivator in his life. He was afraid when he went into battle, the text says, in in 13, 11, and 12. And I think that if you just... I I really... of, As I was putting this sermon together, I thought, you know, as Americans, we are motivated by fear a lot. It seems like when our government or when, when people who are advertising or when people want to motivate us as a people group, fear is often what is used. And then I got to thinking, well, you know, when we lived in Turkey, as I recall, the, the, the political program, the, the, it was fear. And then I got to thinking, you know, it's just we as people, fear is what moves us. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that all of humanity labors under the slavery of the fear of death. Fear moves us. Oftentimes you can easily track in your own heart how being afraid of something because it's new, it's different, it's something we're not familiar with, whatever reason why there's fear, fear often transmogrifies itself into hatred, which is what we saw with Saul. Now, I want to pause here for a minute because the text tells us that Samuel's problem was that he was not afraid of what he should have been afraid of. Soon after he was chosen to be king, Samuel said to Saul, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider. ...what great things He has done for you. you know, the Bible says that the fear of God... ...is the beginning of wisdom. And I think what the, one of the things that the text... ...is teaching us... ...is the way... ...to insulate yourself... ...or protect yourself from fear. And it's not being brave... The way to protect yourself from fear is to fear the right things. Now, I've heard well-meaning Sunday school teachers and well-meaning preachers talk about the fear of God and say something along these lines. It's not really talking about being afraid of God. It's a, it's a holy respect. It's a, it's a loving kind of understanding. See, the, the Bible won't let us believe that because, A, the word that the Hebrew uses for fear is literally, transla- can be translated as sh- shaking, trembling. You're so that you're shaking. So why is it that we're told to be afraid of God and how does that protect us from the other fears? Well, we see that in the life of David, exactly what we've seen. David was more afraid of what God would do to him as he stood above Saul if he lifted his hand against God's anointed than he was of what Saul could do to him, and that protected him. I, in my own life, have seen this. I uh, When I was pastoring a, a little uh, country church, that that uh, it was really a family chapel. The family that kind of ran things... I, in some churches that happens where you have one or two families that kind of run the whole church and, and, and one of those ruling families, they're, they're, one of their sons was dating a girl and uh, he was going to get married to her and they wanted me to baptize her. Well, I, I, I absolutely thought that was a fine idea. And so Ann and I met with this young lady who was 19, 20 years old and I said, well, tell me about when you got saved. And she said, well, I never had to get saved. I've always been a Christian. And I said, uh, wow, how, did, how, does that, how does that work? Tell me about that. And, and she's like, well, you know, I, grew, I was born, my parents are Christians, and I, I grew up in, in church, and so I've always been a Christian. I've, I've never had to, had to get saved. And I said, well, okay, clear, clearly we're, we're misunderstanding some terms here. And so I kind of laid out the gospel a little bit, and, and Ann was there helping me, and she said, well, I, you know, I've never really sinned bad. I've never done any, any bad stuff, so I didn't, I, I've got nothing to repent of. I'm good. She clearly wasn't a Christian. And an hour or so of us saying, no, 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 you've done bad things. Kind of like, remember last Sunday when I asked the kids, who here is good? It's a couple of them, put your hand down, ain't none of you good. Well, that's the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. And she didn't agree with that. She's I'm not a bad person. I don't need to get saved from anything. I'm good. I'm golden. I'm just going to sashay through into heaven. And so I had to go back to that family and say, I can't, I can't baptize her. She, she's never gotten saved. She's not a believer. And the family said, you will too baptize her if you want a job. <laughs> I had to tell them, fire me. I am much more afraid of standing in front of Jesus and him saying, what have you done? than I am of what you can do to me. And you see, if we have a healthy fear of God, then that insulates us from the other fears that play into our lives. I may step through the floor in my living room, but I'm not afraid of being destitute because I know my Father's caring for me. The fears that come into our life, the way we protect ourselves from them is that we understand that the God that created everything has told us what to do. He has revealed Himself to us. We know when I die what the next step will be. So that protects me from fear. I know how the story is going to end. You can watch the news, and I don't care if you're left wing, right wing, backwards wing, whatever you are. You can't watch the news the way it's presented today without going, ah! If you feel comfortable watching one channel, just change the channel one or two over. And they'll tell you the same story in a way that makes you want to scream and holler, right? If you're feeling comfortable watching Fox, watch MSNBC. It'll flip you out. If you're comfortable watching MSNBC, change the channel. We don't have to be afraid. We know how the story ends. Let me tell you how the story ends in case you don't know. In Revelation chapter 19 it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. That'll instill some fear of God in you. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will prevail. That's how it's going to end. And if we're afraid of him, the rest of it doesn't matter. We can rest in him. So Saul was afraid. Also, the text tells us that, that God was silent. Saul went and told his guys, Find for me a woman who's a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And he said that God has not spoken. He said, I, I, I haven't had any visions. I, haven't, I can't get the word of God from, from the Uman. I have no idea what God wants to do. I will propose to you, if you read the story, God hadn't moved, Saul had. And God will not be Saul's good luck charm. That Saul can run around and do whatever he wants, and then when he needs God, he just needs to dig him out. And I'm here to tell you that that's not how God works. We all, we all know that we have to run to God in the storms but on those sunny days don't we often forget him God will not be your rabbit's foot and God would not be Saul's and so Saul did whatever he wanted to do and then when trouble came he went looking for God and God wasn't around because Saul had moved way over there, as we say in the south God was silent So Saul, knowing he shouldn't be doing this, disguises himself. It said that uh, he disguised himself and put on other garments and went at night. And so he said to the woman, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Now the woman said, hey, you're trying to get me killed because Saul has been going around killing everybody who says that they're a a witch, but uh, you ain't going to fool me. And Saul ironically here, says to her, in the name of the Lord, I promise you that no harm will come to you. Wow. So he goes to this witch and tells her to call up a spirit. Now, I believe that this woman was a fraud. That she was somebody that made a buck Calling up spirits. Why I believe that is because when she called the spirit up, she flips out. She wasn't expecting this to work. Now, what that tells me is this: the spirit world is real. It is very real. Now, if you go on television and you watch, uh, the the what's the witch's name in New Jersey, um nobody's gonna call out oh that's my favorite show y'all know what show I'm talking about just because I can't think of the name doesn't mean you don't know what I'm talking about you bunch of little trying to hide Um, so there's that show there was the show that was on for a long time that was the guy that would cold read people and if you just watched it on Oprah or wherever the guy was it was really clear that it was fake he's like okay there's somebody in this room who uh, is missing someone who's young you know you're in a room of 30 people so somebody go oh my son will die there's going to be somebody in there. He's got a name, right? Oh, yeah, he's got a name. And he was playing a game. He's ripping people off and making a lot of money doing it. So at best, if you play in this stuff, you're getting ripped off. At worst, you're dealing with a spirit realm that's not to be trifled with. So when it comes to you know, all the stuff, the horoscopes, just... I'm not telling you to read the horoscopes. i was heard to say, just read the horoscopes. That's not the sentence that I want to be quoted. Pastor Tom said, just read the horoscopes. If you look at the horoscopes, they're so general, absolutely. They're, today, your worst enemy is yourself. Well, you know what? My worst enemy is myself yesterday, too, and the day before that, and the day before that. They're all so general that they're going to be correct some of the time. You realize that Ouija boards are made by Milton Bradley. There's nothing particular wicked about the cardboard that it's printed on. If you really want to see a destructive force from Milton Bradley, buy a Monopoly game. You get any family in together, play a Monopoly. Somebody's going to die. At least in my house. Hey, I'm supposed to collect two hundred dollars. What are you talking about? Ah! And the world falls apart. That's my hotel. My kids, I, I, one of my kids in particular, I'm not going to say any names, but her first initials are Molly, will cheat. <laughs> and you look around and all of a sudden your whole bank is over there by her and you're like, how did you do that? You don't even have any property. <laughs> my point is, is that horoscopes, Ouija boards, all that stuff, at best, is Silly. The problem isn't the cardboard that the Ouija board is made of. It's not the little plastic, whatever you call the thing that you slide around. It's the fact that you're opening your heart up to look for answers outside of God's Word. Don't do that. The spirit world is real. It's not something we play games with. I have seen... Many well-meaning Christians who went to get their palm read, went to go or got on a psychic hotline just for the entertainment value and heard something, well, you're going to be in a relationship that ends. And it destroys their marriage because they're looking for where the problems are. Well, this person said that. So be afraid of those sort of things. Run from them. This woman, I am almost certain from her response, is a fraud. But when Saul went playing in this realm, he got something he didn't want. Because she says, who you want me to call up? He says, well, call up Saul. And then the text tells us that Saul. She said, I see a god coming up out of the earth. Saul says, what does he look like? And she says, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Oh, wow, this is written. Again, so if it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Saul said... I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by the prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And then Samuel said, Why do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Everything that Samuel tells Saul is exactly what he told him face-to-face. Saul was looking for an out, and what he got was the Word of God again. Saul is told some new information that you're going to die, and your sons are going to die. So Saul went looking in the spirit realm for an out, And found his own death. Again, at best, if you play in this realm, you get ripped off. And at worst, you're dealing with forces you don't need to be dealing with. So don't play there. There's no value. There's no help. So Saul here finishes this interaction with her. Um does not kill her, and then the text tells us that she, um, she fed them, and, and that's the end of the story. And then, bam, we pick right back up with David and the Philistines. So I ask myself, all for the last three weeks, why has God given us this story? Generally speaking, if you have a study Bible, if you, if you take a class, they'll say either one of three things is going on here. One, some people teach that, This was all going on in either the witch's head, because Saul is asking her, what do you see? And she responds, and so she's just scamming him. Two, the story happened just like the text said. Or three, the other option that they give us is that this is a demon who's imitating Samuel. I think, uh, and the reason why I made a C- is because I refused to take a position. I kind of tried to play the middle and it didn't work out for me. Um, so here's what, as I prayed about this, I believe that this has happened just like the story is said. This is the only time in the Bible where anything like this happens. I think that God, in his wisdom, just this one time allowed Samuel to come back to pass this message on to Saul. Now what do we take from this? If this happened the way it is, why in the world would God take space up in the Bible with this story and what am I supposed to do with it? Whenever you're studying the Bible, you always ask the questions, how does my life change in the light of this? Now, if you break down what Saul was doing, Saul was looking for guidance. He was looking for leadership. He was looking for direction in his life from someplace other than where he knew he would find it. The only time in my life uh, that I have truly had to, to openly repent in front of my congregation was this. I had to say to my congregation at the time, God has convicted me because I have gotten in the habit of regularly reaching over my Bible to a commentary to see what God's Word has to say. That I'm looking at what John MacArthur has to say, not what God's Word has to say. That I'm looking at what John Piper has to say, not what God's Word has to say. Not saying that either one of those men are wrong or bad. I'm saying that God wants to use His Word to speak to you. What would have happened if Saul had Done like Uriah and fallen on his face when Uriah got that letter from the king of Syria and he went to the temple and he laid that letter on the temple and laid out before God and said, I can't do anything here, God. I'm alone. I'm destitute. I've got 800,000 troops parked outside of my city. I can't do anything here. God moved. Where Saul tried to do something in his flesh. He tried to do something on his own. He tried to say, I have this. I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to go to this poem reader. I'm going to go to this lady who can call up the dead. And instead what he got was his own death certificate. If I look at it from that view, then I realize how often I do that. How often I'm not dependent on God and His Word. How often I can live my life independent of Him and feel like I'm just fine. I think in this one instant, God rips back the curtain and shows us when we do things on our own, we're playing with fire. We need Him. We need His Word. There are spiritual activities going on all around us that we don't know or understand. That's why Paul says to put on the armor of the Lord daily and fight the fight. We see here clearly the consequences of us trying to do things on our own so as we come to a time of invitation I ask you are you trying to figure stuff out on your own are you looking to sources other than God and his word and his people to propel you forward Is your reaction when you come to trouble to call out on the Lord or is your reaction to try to figure out a solution? I've spent this week convicted. Man, I'm ready to whiteboard everything and figure out a solution. Father God, Lord, as we come to you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would show us that we need you. Lord, I pray that you would show us that You have shown us how the story ends. And our fears should not be of the wars raging around us. We should look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.